Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray and I'm your host and I am joined today by our mentor director and our college community program director, Haley Lucas. Hi, Haley. Hi, Hi everyone. We are going to kind of continue a little bit along the same theme of the last few podcasts, which has to do with habits and failures and goals and things like that. But um, we're going to talk a little bit more about transitions within the sport and, and how to set goals and habits for those transitions. Um, so I'll kind of start off, I was talking to Haley about, you know, we've been planning our upcoming college community program um, meeting, which is coming up on Sunday, January 30th at 6 p.m. It's free, it's a Zoom for all collegiate athletes in soccer to kind of discuss what we're kind of talking about today. And it led me to think about how, um, a lot of collegiate athletes get to that level and they aren't always knowing how to navigate, how to set small goals for themselves within the sport and even outside of the sport academically and professionally. And then transitioning into the work world, whether they continue on in a professional soccer realm or they go into the corporate world. And I think that both and all of those, um, we, you have to have a, a skill set of knowing how to set small habits. Um, and goals for yourself. And um, I realized early on that um, being a soccer player, those goals often aren't something that you're setting for yourself. They're rather they're laid out for you and they're there to try to attain to, but they aren't necessarily something you're setting the bigger goals, for example. So I'm a lot older than Haley. And so the soccer world was a little bit different back then. But for me, it was ODP, for example, which I played, there was the next step was always laid out for you. So you make the district team, the state team, the regional team, the national team. Um, in your club soccer world, you know, it's certain amount of wins, it's state cup, it's uh, certain tournaments that were really big, right? Um, and then obviously to, to get um, seen and, and make it to the collegiate level. But beyond that, I didn't really know how to set smaller goals within seasons. Um, by myself. How about you, Haley? Did, did you get taught how to do that? I think not necessarily. It was something that stood out in terms of being taught those things. But like you mentioned, we had those systems in place that either forced you to make habits and you didn't really know it, um, or someone else was kind of making those decisions for you in terms of your coach was setting those goals for you in the terms of expectations and telling you what you needed to work on and the act of you practicing those and working on those things is identifying those smaller habits to work on, but it isn't necessarily something you're doing consciously. And so I think that makes it difficult to translate to your professional career outside of sport or academically. Um, for me, habits are something that I've always been fairly conscious of. Um, I think also because from a fairly young age, um, high school and college, um, I had a lot of goals outside of soccer, which required me to kind of create habits um, to accomplish those goals. But I do think that it's very difficult for athletes in general because there is such a path, so to say, um, to create their own habits that are sustainable and helpful for them when they leave the sport. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think that's why it, female footballers, and I think a lot of us share in this philosophy of being the whole player and having um, a lot more outside of the sport going on for you is 
helpful in the, in that regard. Meaning if you're putting all your eggs in one basket to be this pro soccer player, there's nothing wrong with that. However, you aren't getting the real kind of huge picture of getting to navigate, setting your own goals and habits. Um, and like you said, a coach sometimes provides or a parent can provide that for you, but that's also um, not always helpful because it takes the self-awareness piece away sometimes. And I think when you're in school, for example, you have parent-teacher conferences, you're often involved in those at, at some level, you're having one-on-one -on -one discussions with your teacher, but ultimately it's such an individual thing being a student um, rather than being on a team in a sport. Um, and so there's a level of self-awareness you have to have for your grades and stuff like that. Being on a team, it's just, it's such a bigger thing. And so when you're only playing soccer and you don't have other things going on in your life, you're not practicing how to set small goals and habits for yourself. And so I do feel like we, we end up with a lot of female athletes at the college level. Once they get there, they don't really know what's next because forever it was to get the college scholarship. And then when they're in college, it's sort of like, well, do I even like this, first of all? And then if they do, obviously, which most of them do, it's how do I how do I get better within these four years? Like, and there isn't as much um, individualness because uh, your parents aren't there now. So meaning there isn't that person you're living with who you're going home and kind of analyzing everything with. Um, you're kind of more on your own. So it's almost like the first time you're having to be more self-aware if you're not an analytical person, which you and I both are, um, but not everybody has those self-reflections, analytical sides of themselves. So it's such an interesting thing. I think that's what makes the transition becoming to becoming a college athlete difficult as well is because they've had that kind of dependency on their parents or their coaches. And then when you go to college, I think there's an expectation, not only your college coach may be someone who still is that for you, but a lot of times there is an expectation and especially from your professors as well, as well that you're an adult now and they've kind of expected you to already build those skills. So I think for freshmen, that transition can be really difficult because they're having to set their own goals again, goals as in what am I going to major in? What activities am I going to be a part of? How well am I going to um, try to be in my sport? Because I definitely think that people have different goals. Sometimes college soccer is the end goal for people. Others, it's professional soccer. So kind of finding yourself in a way, but that transition to college when there is way less structure as well than you had in high school, when you get to pick your class times and there's a lot more freedom. So habits are required in college because it's very easy to get off track. There are so many student athletes at my college and other colleges who are on academic probation just because they were not used to that freedom and the lack of um, structure that they had previously or others were implementing for them. Yeah, I think that um, I, I I struggled. I grew up in a home where um, both my parents were kind of in the same job for a really long time. And so, and they both have lived here in the San Jose area where I'm from their whole life. And so there wasn't a lot of talk and they both didn't go to college. So, and there's a lot of female players that come from like-minded backgrounds like that where they might not have the uh, my parents were very supportive, but they didn't have a lot of the experiences that the soccer world kind of affords girls. And so it was really, um, nobody was telling me like what what's out there, like what I could do. So I wasn't used to that kind of freedom. So when I got 
to college, it was very scary. And I didn't feel like there were as many um, advisors in place. We had a great advisor at, at the school that I went to at Cal. Um, his name was Derek Van Reen and shout out to him. And he also did some courses at Cal for student athletes. But, but that was the first time. So being 18 and 19 is the first time to like kind of see what's out there. It was almost like too late in a way. I mean, I was, and I look back now and I really wish I would have been pushed to go in lots of more different directions and not be scared to try different classes and really see what I liked because I didn't spend time doing that in high school. And I think nowadays high school advisors are so much better about that, but there's really not, there's one like piece of advice if you're a parent listening to this, um, even if you don't know the soccer world at all, like my parents kind of didn't, I highly recommend doing some research on um, talking to a, a college, like there's so many organizations for parents now for soccer parents to learn from. And one of them that comes to mind is soccerparenting.com. I would look into that. They give so much research on like just how to navigate the process in helping your athlete. But bigger picture is like um, letting them know their options. You know, we talk about that a lot because we have a lot of mentors on our staff that play in beach soccer and um, pro soccer and who don't play pro soccer and they play collegiately and they're in the corporate world. And, you know, there's so many different avenues, so. And I think also you mentioned it being too late when you're in college is being aware of that, whether you're a student athlete or a parent and trying to kind of be more aware of these things and self-aware um, to kind of put these systems in place and just a comment and kind of advice about choosing your university as well is that there are very different environments that you can put yourself in for that independence or for developing those habits. And part of that comes with doing your research. I talked to a ton of people that both played soccer at Cal or were student athletes at Cal. And overwhelmingly people would say, and the coach even said this to me too, we're not gonna hold your hand here. The resources are available to you, but you have to go and find them. And so that expectation coming in was like, okay, I have to be really on top of my stuff in order to take advantage and ask questions and use my resources versus other smaller private schools said, literally some of them said, we'll hold your hand here the whole four years. We'll make everything very easy for you, which for some people is necessary if you need to be in that smaller environment. But for me personally at Cal, I think I came out of Cal for the better, a more independent learner, um, someone who takes more risks and can kind of handle myself um, maybe much better than some of my peers who did have that hand holding through those important ages of 18 to 22. So it kind of depends on the environment that you're looking for for your child or for yourself. But that independence um, made it much easier for me to go play in Europe professionally in a different country where I didn't know the language and was by myself and things like that. So there are some give and takes depending on what you're looking for. But I do think that having to fail and learn on your own and take risks in college um, and be aware that that was going to be what it was like and have to prepare for it mentally, um, of course, physically and whatnot with the soccer, but putting those habits in place early and kind of thinking about that. I committed as a sophomore in high school. So I had kind of had time to prepare for what I'd be expecting at the next level at a giant public school was really helpful. So just kind of thinking about those things when you're making those decisions for choosing a college too. 
Well, I think that's why we're so big on this whole player development aspect of, of sport. And what we mean by that is the body, the mind, and the craft. So the body, meaning your physical sides of soccer, that pillar, the craft, meaning the technical, tactical sides, and then the mind, meaning the, the mental side of sport. All of those are very important because if you're not if you're not kind of developing as a whole player in your teenage years, setting those habits are a lot harder. And I think a lot of parents don't mean to do this, but the whole realm of like the helicopter parent or the snowplow parent, I, I, I as a parent myself, I can see how easy that is to, to become that. You, you don't wanna see your kids fail. It is hard to navigate, but I have to say, your children are better off for it because it will force them to have to have self-awareness, self-advocacy, um, that independent piece. That's huge. And I think I was a player where I was overwhelmed at Cal. It was so big and they didn't hold my hand and I didn't have the skill set to put myself in the position to find what I was looking for. And I think it, and not necessarily that my parents were helicopter parents or anything, but I just wasn't taught how to do that. And I think like, when we go and we work with girls at different clinics or teams, it is a much more common of the younger generations right now to not be as personable in person because a lot of their socialization has been behind a screen, especially in the last two years. So they're not as skilled in navigating, going up to a counter and being like, I need to talk to so-and-so, you know, all these little habits that you create on how to self-advocate. And I think that um, if you, again, that self-awareness, that, that piece you just touched on, the self-awareness piece to know if you need your handheld or not is a really important piece. And I think that it can make or break your success as a collegiate athlete. Um, and there's not necessarily a right or a wrong because there are going to be people that need their handheld, which is fine. Um, but I do think that's why I know I personally can be really critical of the youth soccer landscape in America because it doesn't necessarily promote um you know independent habits for athletes you know they're we are joystick coaching a lot of the time we are um, way too involved as parents in all the transition processes from club to club from club to college and, and it's just it doesn't end up helping you so speaking of all of this like you know, you navigated going from college soccer to professional soccer. I navigated, there wasn't pro soccer when I um, when I played collegiately. So I had navigated college soccer to like the, the corporate or real world of, of jobs. And I would love to hear first from you, like having felt like you came out of Cal pretty independent and ready, what habits did you have in place already that helped you get to play in Europe? Can you kind of go maybe detailed on some of those? Yeah, I think a big one is I didn't, I think my professional career has been characterized as kind of like stepping stones because I played at a Pac-12 school, but unfortunately um, in the professional world, most European coaches have no idea what the NCAA is and Cal women's soccer kind of means nothing to them. Because I played, and not saying that I'm so much better than someone who played at another school, but there, there are Division Two, Division Three soccer players that I were my teammates. So that is something that doesn't kind of set you apart. It's mostly film connections, connecting with coaches. And so for a big thing for me, because I didn't have youth national team experience, was having to reach out to clubs myself sometimes. And my agent at the time 
I don't think fought for me like he should have as an agent. And I was having to do a lot of the heavy lifting and the work, which I was happy to do because my goal was to play on a team and get my foot in the door. But that, I think that resourcefulness of finding teams emails on the internet, asking around, putting myself out there was something that I had to do at Cal as well to kind of stand out at a school that has 30,000 people at it or to find those resources, which are right in front of you. You just have to kind of find them and putting yourself out there. It's okay if you get rejected or you don't get a response to an email, but cold emailing teams. And that's how I found my first opportunity and got my foot in the door. I was able to kind of build my way up to better leagues, but I think it was that kind of grit and resourcefulness that I developed in college and even experience doing it in high school in the college recruiting process. My mom made me write every email that I sent to college coaches and answer the phone calls. And I know it's different now with recruiting rules, but I was on the phone with college coaches at like 13, 14 years old, which is pretty uncomfortable. So I say this on a lot of our podcasts, but like being comfortable with being uncomfortable, putting myself in situations where I'm not the most comfy because I'm talking to someone I don't know or putting myself out in a way that's kind of vulnerable because someone could definitely say no to me. So I think taking risks was the biggest thing and they're not reckless risks by any means, but putting myself out there and seeing what happens. And that's what I credit a lot of my um, successes to, including starting my professional career. And I think that's like why the last week's episode on the fear of failure is a part of the habits because the younger you are creating these types of habits, the less fear you're going to have in putting yourself out there. And I'm kind of a little bit opposite of you. And so I'll go into a little bit of my experience. I wasn't, I'm very, I was very shy and very scared to fail. And, um, on the field is where I wasn't as scared, but it was off the field. And, and I realized around age 13, where, like you said, that was when life shifted from, I couldn't just hide behind my playing anymore. I had to have a little bit of a personality talking to coaches. I would, um, you know, back then, like I said, ODP was like the way to get seen. And we would go to Laramie, Wyoming every summer and you would, you know, be in the dorms at University of Wyoming or wherever with all these girls and you're playing and all these college coaches are there. And I didn't really know how to hold myself in a confident way amongst the adults, but also the teammates that were brand new that you didn't really know that you're sharing a room with. And that's also where I learned like how I had not been practicing like habits for nutrition and my body. Like I remember being in a room with teammates and they're all drinking like the Gatorade goo and they all have their legs up against the wall, draining the lactic acid from their legs. And I was like, what are they, what are you doing? What's lactic acid? I had no idea because none of that was something that I was taught. So then, you know, fast forward to the recruiting process and mine was also probably very different from yours because um, we weren't nearly recruited as young. I started getting letters my freshman year. Um, back then it was letters, legitimately um, not even emails. Um, but it was definitely like a different, um, you know, I didn't know how to talk on the phone I, and it, I was not comfortable. And on my visits, I was awkward. And um, I, and then once I got to school, I didn't know how to um, make the appointment to go in and talk to my advisor. Like I just was scared to do all of it because I had never done it. And so it's not like, I feel like the, um, 
parents and coaches get a bad rap a lot from organizations like us who are like, stop babying them, stop, you know, whatever. But these are exact reasons why is you're not giving them the ability to, to learn these habits younger, which they are very much capable of, and they end up helping you later. So fast forward to um, my senior year at Cal. I, at the time, the WUSA was the first professional women's league in America. And we had the San Jose Cyber Rays close by from where I was from. So I had finished my fall season at Cal. And that spring, I started to train with the Cyber Rays down in San Jose and over the summer. And then I stayed a fifth um, kind of fall and I videoed the team because I had a couple of classes I needed to finish up. And then by the time I technically graduated in the, it was the fall of um, 2004, the league folded, completely folded. So when I graduated, I didn't have the opportunity to play. And at that time, one, there were leagues overseas and in different countries that one, I didn't know about because I didn't know how to do that research. I didn't know where to find it or who to talk to, which had I been a little bit more of independent go-getter, like you were saying you were, I might've done that more, you know? But um, then I, I move home and I, you know, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm, I'm done with soccer. And um, that transition was so hard. I was 22. I was playing great soccer when I ended and I was not really done, you know? And I, um, I, for the first time had to think about what else am I good at? And I didn't know. Um, I majored in, in, in interdisciplinary field studies with a focus in psychology and childhood development. And I came from a family of teachers. So I started getting my teaching credential, but I had so many community, like talks with my parents late night. Cause I'd moved home and just didn't know what I wanted to do. Didn't know how to set a goal for myself. Didn't know how, like where to start because all of that had felt like it was done for me, but really in hindsight, it wasn't that it was done for me. It was that I didn't learn early on how to do it for myself, which is not something you're necessarily, I mean, you are taught, I guess, but you're, I don't know. I mean, do you think that's something that a girl who's not aware of this just picks up on her own though? Or do you think that is something you're taught at a younger age? I think it's a mix. You can definitely, um, I think it depends a lot on your parents too. Like for me, my parents were always pushing me to explore different things. And I think that allowed me to kind of one, find a passion, but also um, they kind of set up the idea of like, well, this is kind of how you need to get there. And there's not necessarily one direct path um, for that, but yeah, I'm trying to think, that's a hard question. Do you have an answer to that? I know. No, I, I, I think it's a mixture of both. I do think that your how you're raised plays a huge role in this. Um, and to no fault of my parents, like they just, they had never gone through this process and they kind of, you know, stayed in the location they grew up in. But I think about a lot of the girls who come from either a single family home or or they they aren't living with their parents, or they don't have the financial resources that, you know, the soccer world, as much as I hate to say it, it's such an elite uh, world as far as you have to have money to play the sport. And I think that's the part that really sucks about it, because it's a world sport where it shouldn't be like that, you know, like you could make a ball out of anything and play anywhere, so it shouldn't cost a fortune to play. But I do think, I, I think about the untapped talents in different areas of the world, and how like to get to the highest levels, the people that have made it, even who've come from nothing um, in their family lives and stuff, it's they have that 
independent kind of willingness to to fail and to put themselves out there and I don't I do think that's a, a learned behavior I don't know that you're necessarily born with that although I think that there's definitely something to say that like people come out a little bit different I mean I have three kids and from the second all three of mine were born they were very different but they're also e easily you know I can change a lot of different things with the behaviors they learn in our home and I I do think that um, learning how to be an independent kind of go-getter and create those types of habits and goals can be a learned behavior. And I think nowadays the education system is better about that in schools. I think the advising in high schools is so much better than it used to be. Same with the college level. But I do think a lot of families have to, the, even starting with the parents, have to look into what else is out there. And if you don't have the financial resources to hire like a college consultant type of company, you know, just follow the right people on social media. That's free, you know, follow soccer parenting, follow the reformed sports parent. Um, he always has different people on. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Is it? Yeah, the, the reforms, or I'm sorry, it's the reformed sports project, a guy named Nick Buonacore or something, but he always posts, um, kind of just little gems and things to think about, but then he'll follow up with like research. Um, for example, today's post was the best sports parents give their kids the freedom to fail. They don't mow down every obstacle in their path. They understand sports teach life and the lessons learned help kids become the best people they can be. The best sports parents know it's all much bigger than sports. And I think like, you know, put those types of things in your feed to remind yourself that, um, you know, there's balance to what you're doing. It's not just about your kid winning that tournament. Like at the end of the day, the accolades mean nothing if they don't know how to be an independent person finding their path after their soccer careers are over, right? Um, I think, I do think the school you go to collegiately can really, um, really have an effect on what we're talking about. And I think you and I both went to Cal and that is a very special school. Um, that teaches all of its athletes and regular students about service and um, doing good in the world and putting yourself out there and not being afraid to fail. Those are all things I felt like I learned at that college level, but I think a lot of colleges do that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I think I was also going to note about the learned behavior was that if you're listening to this, no matter if you're a parent or a student athlete or anything like that, that it is a learned behavior. So if you feel like you're not there yet, that's okay. We can start today and change habits, change behaviors, or start implementing things. Um, if you don't come from a background um, of means, or you feel like you don't have the resources, there are plenty, like Cassie mentioned, there are plenty free ones out there. And there are so many people that are willing to talk to you. I think one of the things that's allowed me to be successful on and off the field was just talking to people that I want to be like and asking them questions and learning about their experiences. And that could even be asking them about their habits. What do you think um, made you successful? What um, kind of led you to what you want to be and things like that. And that's something that we'll talk a lot about in our college community meetings is finding that passion outside of sports. Because I would say that even even though it's such a low percentage of people that play professionally, I would say that most of them don't even have that goal, student athletes. A lot of sports, that isn't really an option, but finding those passions, because I know those identity can tr transitions can be difficult, is kind of figuring out what you like. 
doing internships that sound interesting and maybe that internship is not what you want to do at all. And so, you know, you don't want to do that anymore, but our resources are just finding people that want to talk, talk. People love talking about themselves. So if you just want to say, Hey, can, can I have 15 minutes of your time and just ask you about your career or something in their life? It could be a professional soccer player asking them how they got to where they are and things like that. But that the learned behaviors, we can start working on those now and we can learn from others who have been down that same path that we would like to go. Totally. Oh my gosh. I, I agree. There's many people that like to talk about themselves. That's for sure. And I, but I found that incredibly helpful. Um, even just starting female footballers, that was a scary thing for me to do back in the day was just sort of like, well, is this, this be it a business? Like, I don't know. I've never done something like this, but I knew that it was my passion. And I did just started talking to people. I just wanted to talk about what I believed in. And the more I talked about it, the more I realized there's so many like-minded people out there and I had to not be afraid to just say what I think. And I think that's what led to us ultimately doing a podcast was we're talking about things that could really help people and let's record ourselves and let's do this, you know? And I think, um, I think that, you know, if you're a collegiate player, please join us on these meetings because one, it's a free resource. It can feel scary to jump on a Zoom, but black out your screen. We don't care. We just want you to listen in. Obviously we'd love to see your face, but you know, it's like, <laughs> we would just love to reach a lot of players because like you mentioned at Cal, you were a part of the SAC, which is the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. I don't believe we had that when I went to Cal. Um, so this idea of sort of a committee to talk about these things is still fairly new in the last 10 years, I would say. And there isn't a lot of that out there where you can do this with lots of different schools so that you are learning. Because I was always curious. Um, I had wanted to go to a small school. I wanted to go to University of Portland. I did my recruiting trip at LMU, all these small kind of Jesuit small schools. And when I went on a recruiting trip there, I was like, oh God, no, I don't think I could do this. And when I went to Cal, it was almost like the opposite though, where I was like overwhelmed with how big it felt, but something about it felt right. So obviously I committed and it took a year or two at Cal of how big it was to really find my place. And I think being an athlete was incredibly helpful because you're in, you know, right away, given this community of people with like-minded uh, skill sets and interests and all of that. But I do look back wishing that I put myself outside of the sports world a little bit in my college experience and met more people outside. I remember there's one girl on our team. I'd be curious to ask you this because we're like 15 years apart in our experiences. We had one player who joined um, a sorority, I think, and then lived in the sorority house and then ultimately quit her senior year more due to um, injury. But that led her to down a path where she then worked as a counselor at the Lair of the Bear Pinecrest camps. And she had this whole other group of friends and that led her down a totally different uh, career path. And I just think like back then, I remember thinking, like, oh, she went outside of like the soccer crew. And I'm like, oh, how cool now, you know? Did you have a lot of players that did that? We had, it got more popular as I got older, probably three or four were in a sorority. And none of them lived in the sorority, but it definitely gave them the opportunity to, yeah, like have another piece of their Cal experience. And for me, SAC was, I probably credit it as one of the most important experiences I had at Cal because it exposed me to professional development and networking and why that was important. And 
I never lived with soccer players after my freshman year in the dorms. I lived with other student athletes. Most of my best friends outside of soccer were from other sports. And so it gave me the opportunity at Cal, we have 850 student athletes. There's a ton of us. So these leadership opportunities and kind of extracurriculars really exposed me to learn from other Cal student athletes. And through SAC, I was able to sit on like a PAC 12 leadership council and learn about the different SACs from other PAC 12 schools and what they do and get to meet people from other schools. And that only made our SAC better. And so I think kind of having this think tank, so to say, with our college community, where you get to learn about what a girl from a division three school is doing or division one or on the East Coast, West Coast, the more ideas we have, the more we can take away personally, but also make connections across the country that will help us for maybe our pursuits later for graduate school, playing in soccer um, at another school, playing professionally or doing something totally outside of it. And I think that most people want to help other people achieve their goals. It's not a um, lose win mentality like we can all win together. And so by having this community around you, it's also a way to kind of air your grievances and talk about issues that are important to you when a sack, so to say, is just your school, all different sports, but maybe you wanna talk more specifically about issues in women's soccer or meet other people that are like-minded. So that's kind of the goal of our organization, but of this um, community kind of program is we want to bring people together and. I see such immense value in it because my experience at Cal um, has kind of given me everything so much, all the skills that I continue to use and people that I still have really strong relationships with were because of a similar program. Totally. Yeah. And I think um, connecting this back to habits, it's all about the independent habits that you set for yourself and the goals you set for yourself. Um, like we said, it's a learned behavior. And if you don't, you weren't raised in that world, it doesn't mean that you can't learn them. And so that's why we're offering this free program is to help you build habits and goals for yourself that will take you beyond college soccer in any direction that you want to be in. But if you're a parent listening to this and you have more of a youth athlete, whether they're, uh, you know, 10 or in their teens, um, these are things that you should be thinking about if your child has interest in playing longer or if you're just a parent who has a kid in soccer realizing that you can really build independence and create these types of habits in your athlete now i i personally have an 11 year old and an almost nine year old comp soccer player at home and a big part of those start with little things like getting ready for soccer they need to fill up their own water bottle they need to get themselves ready they need to go talk to the coach when they have a problem with something. Don't do it for them all the time because then they're never going to know how to do it themselves. And these are habits that you can really help build in your athlete just by forcing them to do it. You know, like Haley, you, you saying that your mom made you write all the emails. I love that. I love your mom, by the way, but I love that she forced you to do that because that's a skill set. I'm doing the same thing with my son academically. You know, if he has to talk to the teacher, I'll sit next to him, but he's doing the typing. And the writing and i'm letting them know like no this is how we end the email we need to say it like this or whatever and it's like these are how you build those habits don't i know it's easy as a parent to do it for them all the time but force them to be uncomfortable younger so that they then know how to form 
those independent habits because it's only going to help them in so many different avenues of life. And I will say that while I, I think on this episode, I've made it like, oh yeah, like just go after it, make yourself uncomfortable. That's really easy. I'm not the kind of person that when you step into a room, I'm not the super friendly, loud person that is like very gregarious. Um, I'm kind of the more reserved person who kind of needs to check things out first. So knowing that it is learned and can be practiced at this young age is important because that calling college coach at 13, legit, I'd be on the phone and waiting to, uh, I was like, please go to voicemail, please go to voicemail. Like I, when you're young and then it became easier as I got older or even these networking opportunities at Cal, when we'd get to go and talk to different people in a room where you had to walk up to a person in a professional capacity, like that was super uncomfortable for me in the beginning. And just kind of learning how to do that and being okay to kind of mess up and things like that. But I just want to say that, yeah, it's not easy and it's going to take a lot of practice because yeah, I'm not that kind of person who's super, I am now just because I've done it so many times. And I know we talked about the fear of failure. Once you do it, um, it's not as bad anymore and it's easier to approach, but it, the earlier you start practicing these things and parents and players and even coaches kind of throwing, um, your player into those uncomfortable situations, they're going to be more confident to tackle those bigger steps as they get older. Exactly. And like you said, I'm the same way as you. I'm, I'm very um, shy when you first meet me. Um, I've had a lot of people go like, you have a podcast or you're taught, you're like hosting a podcast <laughs> because it's so random that I'm not one. When you get to know me, I'm kind of loud but it takes me a long time to really warm up. And I think that there's no right or wrong personality type to put yourself out there, but you do have to start small. So again, this is why we talk about habits rather than goals or um, resolutions for this new year. You know, it's January still. Um, we're on this topic because the smaller you can break down where you wanna go, what you wanna be in those larger goals, the smaller you break it down into those small habits, the less scary it becomes, the more routine and independence that you'll build. And I think, um, like I said, starting really small for your younger athletes where you just force them. Like I, I make my children after every practice, when I come pick them up, they need to walk over to the coach and say, thanks coach, or say goodbye to the coach and make eye contact. It could be just something that small at age nine, 10, 11, where they're getting used to going up to an adult and having a conversation um which for those shy type of kids is really hard you know even though it's their coach and they might be comfortable it's a more formal thing but i think it's important to start practicing little things like that young whereas then it becomes the more they they have the interaction where it's hey coach thanks coach whatever um then it becomes the uh hey coach you know i'm wondering what i can do to get better i'm not starting right now and they feel more comfortable to start having those conversations so that it's not you as a parent saying, why aren't you starting my kid? Because that's not going to help them. And then that leads to not being scared on the phone with a college coach or not being scared when they're at a tournament and they're coming up to you. I don't know if they're allowed to do that anymore, but coming up to you at a you know tournament and, and talking to you or whatever, they have some of those skills. And um, I don't know. I, I just think that it has to start small. So if, if you're a, and if you're a player, even at, at the college level, Starting small where it is um, starting to, to speak up more at a practice, you know, like whatever your goal might be, um, but just 
try to break it down to the smallest thing. And that's what we plan to do for you and with you at these college community meetings. So that's why we want you to come. Yeah, so just kind of to some of what we're doing, we'd love you to come, but <laughs> basically, yeah, we're trying to help um, provide a resource for professional and personal development and a sense of community where you can be around people um, that are in similar life experiences as you and learn from them, share your experiences um, and have a little fun, just a place to kind of come and talk. Totally. So hopefully you'll join us on Sunday, January 30th at 6 p.m. Um, we try to do these monthly, so there'll be another one coming up in February or March. Um, also, the next thing after that coming up, we have the National Girls and Women's in Sports Day is Wednesday, February 2nd. We're hosting a virtual Zoom at 9.30 in the morning for a lot of coaches of female athletes. Doesn't matter what your gender is, but we are going to just discuss um, coaching the female mindset and some takeaways that you can bring back to your actual sessions uh, to help with kind of starting the year off on a positive mindset for your players after such a rough few years mentally for, for a lot of our girls. So we hope you join us on that as well. So thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate. Um, go ahead and, and give us a, an, a, a like or a follow on this podcast. Feel free to comment on anything. We would love to engage with more people who are listening. Um, share it if you can. We would really appreciate it. And thanks so much. We'll see you soon.